It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 708 on a Saturday morning, 69.5 degrees outside. This is Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your garden. Today it's going to be hot. My attitude toward success is get her done this morning before 11 o'clock and then enjoy the afternoon indoors, perhaps watching the Euro soccer championships that will be starting today all over France, and for which when we were in France last week there were just thousands of kiosks and people sort of bustling around getting ready for this whole deal. It was a big preparation. A lot of people coming in to France and to that part of the country to see the soccer soccer championships there. So having just gotten back, as you know, Ashley Frasca did a fabulous job hosting the show for the past two weekends. And so having taken my place while I was in France and Italy, I thought I would share at the beginning of each hour this morning just a couple of things that we saw or did or noticed while we were on our trip. And one of the things you will always notice when you go to northern Italy and southern France is the food is extraordinary. And it's hard for, you know, this little guy who grew up in Fayette County eating cornbread, fried okra, <laughs> fried chicken, things like that, to compare what I ate as a child and what I still sometimes eat as an adult to the cuisine that you get in other countries, in particular parts of the world which are renowned for the quality and the freshness and the preparation of their food. And fr frankly, all of us were taking pictures of the food as it was presented to us on some of these multi-course meals with wine paired to it. And I got tired of it. The food, every meal was so pretty that you just couldn't take a picture of everything and get the full essence of, of what the experience was like. There was one particular meal I remember where every four or five plates there was a hunk of butter as big as your head. I am not lying, a hunk of butter as big as your head, plus a bowl of these long, finger-long little radishes, about as big as your middle finger, and uh, the, the foliage still on the radish. And we said, why, why, why? What are we supposed to do with the butter and the radish? And the waiter explained, you take the radish and you dip it into the butter, and then you dip it into a little bit of salt that you sprinkled on your plate, and you eat the radish, the butter, the salt unbelievably good. Never heard of that before, but that is exactly what they had for that meal for our little, you know, little appetizer to get started in the meal. And then we had the fish and the prosciutto and, and uh, Italy. We had just all sorts of things. We were talking just a minute ago about the um, zucchini blossoms, the markets that were there, just filled with fresh food, filled with fresh meat, fresh cheese, fresh bread made that morning, fresh zucchini blossoms, as I mentioned, fresh fruit. It was amazing to go to these farmer's markets there, and there are some pretty amazing farmer's markets around Georgia, too, don't get me wrong, but it was great to walk through and see some of the things that they had, that they had for offer there. Two things that I posted on my website, if, if you care to, and I purposely put these two pictures low on the page so I can warn people, don't go further than this if you don't want to see something sort of upsetting. But one of the markets we went to, 
had a big uh, uh, butcher stall, and in the butcher stall you had every kind of preparation of, of sausage and pork and beef and uh, lamb and goat and things like that. But also, I noticed over the side there was some rabbit. Yeah, a whole laid out there beside each other, ready. Here's a rabbit, rabbit extra they call it, because rabbit had the heart and the lungs still in it uh, there where it had been butchered. And so you take the heart and the lungs of the rabbit, I guess, and prepare them in some special way. But there was rabbit, there was pigeon, um, there were things that I didn't expect to see. Oh, there's one, they had chickens with their heads still on them. I mean, the beak, the head, the eyes, the feathers, and everything were there laid out in the in the display cooler. So anyway, we had a great time. I will just tell you that. We had a great time. If you want to see some of the pictures of places and food and uh, people and odd things that I noticed on the trip, you can go to WalterReeves.com. It's right there at the beginning of pictures of the Europe trip and everything that we saw there. Although I'll tell you on food, if you don't want to see, don't go that far down the page. Bill is up in Oglethorpe, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Morning, Bill. Good morning. Morning, Walter. Go for it, Bill. Tell me your question. We got to go. I got a problem, buddy, with an azalea. Yeah. I transplanted the thing, put new soil with it, and uh, fertilized it. Now all the le green leaves are falling off of it. What did I do wrong? You know, honestly, probably fertilizing it. What's that? You're probably fertilizing it was the thing you did wrong. Well, I, I fertilized it according to the directions on the package that yeah. came with it. Well, the deal is... I watered it in good, Walt. Yeah, but what when you transplant... Right? It, well, actually, when you plant anything, the thing that you want, obviously, is to, for the roots to spread. You want the roots on that plant to spread out, to take care of that plant, to absorb the water and the nutrients and everything the plant needs to be healthy. And one of the things the plant probably needs least in the transplanting process is fertilizer. Because fertilizer forces the plant to do things that it really would rather not be doing while it's establishing itself in a new home. It's like it's like you, Bill. If you wake up in the... Well, if you try to go to sleep at night and somebody says, Here, Bill, here's 10 cups of coffee. Drink this. You would not have a lot of sleep at night if you drink a lot of coffee before you go to bed. And those little plants, by putting fertilizer on them, when they're being transplanted, you are basically saying, Here, here's 12 cups of coffee. Drink this. You'll feel better. So... At this point, about the best you can do, Bill, is to leave it alone, water it normally, don't try to soak it or do anything else to it, but water it normally and see if it can withstand the drying effect of the fertilizer and grow some new roots, and then the leaves will start perking up, new leaves will appear, and you'll have a pretty nice azalea. That's the best you can do. Time will tell. Okay. Well, All I'm right. Keep my eye on it. And keep this in mind, when you transplant something, the only kind of fertilizer to use is what are called starter fertilizers. Starter fertilizers are very, very slow, slow, slow release fertilizer. Uh, Pike has one called uh, Sure Start. You can use Milorganite. You can use uh, cottonseed meal. Espoma, the holly tone, works great. But all these starter fertilizers are specifically made not to burn the roots of plants when they're transplanted. And that's the best way to take care of those transplants or new plants that you put into your garden. Mike is in Atlanta. Mike joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. I have just uh, two quick questions for you, and they both have to do with rhododendrons. Sure. We're talking about Lord Robert rhododendrons purchased from our friends at Pike. And there's a particular group of them, two of them out of a group of 15. And these two seem, all of them have a, a brown, um, if you want to call it browning or, or crisping disease of the, of the leaves. Yeah. 
and we've been using a fungicide that is now, it will actually go waterproof, and I was told to use it every two weeks, which I've been doing, okay. and um, a lot of the other, the new growth is good, but I'm still getting some of this burned-out root problem, hmm. uh, I should say leaf problem, hmm. and the other part of the question, which is two-pronged, and I'll let you finish, let you talk about it, is best time to uh, trim these things back, or the best time to prune these um, uh, plants, and uh, uh, how far back should they be, be pruned down if you want to keep them, let's say, five to six feet? Got it. Your so <laughs> did you tell me already, did you tell me how old the rhododendrons are, how long it's been since planting? Uh, well, these, uh, the majority of the plants are all about four years old. Okay. And the, and I've lost three of them. I've replaced them, and these same two now, one of them's come back okay. These same two seem to be having problems, and they're about, they're less than two years old. When you say crisping, does that mean the edges of the leaf, or the whole leaf is turning brown and crisp, or what's that? The whole, the whole leaf. It'll start on one part of it and work its way across, and then you'll get the leaf drop. When I see for lack of a better word, crisping, or the edges or the tips of any plant, rhododendron or houseplant or whatever, when I see the brown edges move across or from the tip down, that tells me there is a water problem, a water interruption somewhere. Something is causing water not to get to that leaf. It's not necessarily a disease of the leaf. It may be a disease of the stem or of the roots, or it could be a critter chewing around the base of the plant for that matter just whatever keeps water from coming up to the roots up to the leaves causes the leaves to crisp from edges in or top down so i think part of the deal mike is you go out and get a trowel and dig around the base of the rhododendrons that are affected and make sure that nothing obvious can be seen uh, at the base of the plant no vole damage or, or real soggy soil or some soil fungus that's growing around the base of the plant or anything like that because again we're looking for the cause of the water interruption and um, it's possible, I suppose, this is a root problem that the roots are shut down for some reason. Make sure this is not a soggy spot. We don't want that on rhododendrons. And do your homework and see if you can find anything that looks like it could be causing that water interruption. And the second thing, I only have about 30 seconds here, but the second thing about pruning is when they get to, I would say, a foot less, excuse me, a foot more than where you want them to bloom, that's when you can prune them back, and the pruning time is right after they bloom. So when, if you want the rhododendrons to bloom at about four feet, wait till they get to five feet, and then prune them back to about mm, three and a half or so, and it'll bloom at about four, and you'll have a nice-looking nice looking shrub. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. Great talking to you, Mike. Thanks for calling. 404-872-0750, the number to dial on Lawn and Garden. You're listening to The Lawn and Garden Show. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. The word that should be on your mind before you get out and garden a little bit this morning is... Heat. It's going to be hot this afternoon, my friends. There's no way to get around it. Plan accordingly because it's going to be up into the lower 90s this afternoon. Clear skies all over the metro area. And tonight, lows dropping into the low 70s. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Don't forget, tomorrow is Sunday. Pick up your copy of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Get all the news and $250 in coupon savings. Lauren in St. Simons Island joins us. Hey, Lauren, good morning. Good morning. At least we have a sea breeze. Well, at least you have the sea breeze. Just rub it in. Go ahead. 
I have tomato plants, and all the leaves are dying. They, they, even when the plants are fairly small, they start turning brown, and the leaves will gradually drop off from the bottom to the top of the plant to start at the bottom. Tomatoes still on the plants. Uh, I've been able to get those right, but the leaves, and I have about seven or eight plants. Huh. I, I grow mine in an earth box. Now, my nephew has some that's grown in the soil that do, have done the same thing this year. Hmm. No spotting of the leaves? Did you notice any spot turns black? Yes, and... there, were, there were some spots early on. Mm. One of the things to do a little homework here is to look up a disease called early blight. Very common, it's common, common Early disease. blight. Okay. And um, it splashes. <clears throat> it's a fungal disease. Excuse me, I've got something in my throat here. It uh, splashes from the bottom of the plant from soil to the bottom leaves and on up the plant. And so one of the ways to stop early blight is to be really good about getting the diseased leaves off of the lower part of the plant early, early in the plant's life so they don't splash further up the plant. Um, if you do some Googling and you look at early blight symptoms and say, ooh, that looks like my plant, then at this point, uh, fertilizing and trying to get the plant to grow out of it. It's not a bad, not a bad uh, strategy at all. And uh, if you want to spray fungicide to stop it on the leaves that are above the diseased area, you can do that. You know, honestly, you've got plenty of time to plant more tomatoes. If you wanted to plant a few more tomatoes in another earth box or another part of the soil of the garden, you can do that as well. But uh, right now, I think homework is in, in order, and that is to find out if this is early blight. And the best way to do that is look at images on Google and just see if anything looks like early blight and take action accordingly. Thanks for calling, Lauren. we got to get out of here. It's 728 News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden right after news. <laughs> with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center, playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.35 and 69 degrees on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape or your garden or your flowers or your houseplants or your lawn or anything that has to do with the growing and the out of doors. I can be of service. If you want organic questions, fine. We've got organic answers. If you want to know something about GMOs, we can talk about GMOs till the cows come home. We can talk about bee colony decline disorder. We can talk about anything on your mind. If you don't know the plant that you want to ask a question about, no problem. I can help you identify it real quickly, and we'll figure out what to do with it, and we'll go on from there. 404-872-0750 is the number. Charles is out in Douglasville, and Charles joins us on Lawn and Garden. Well, Charles, we've got to wait for Charles to get finished with Rachel. There he is. Charles in Douglasville, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. Bye. Hey, Charles, what's going on? Yes, uh, I've got some hydrangeas. I've got one dark blue. Yeah. And But most of mine are light blue. And I is there anything you can do put on them to make them dark blue again? Absolutely. Okay. The thing that makes hydrangea colors change, you, you've seen, I know you have, Charles, you've seen the pink ones, and you've seen the purple ones, and you've seen the blue ones, of course, and the various colors even in between those. 
And the thing that makes them change is how acid the soil is, right? Okay. And the way you make the soil more acid, which makes things more blue when they're the big leaf hydrangeas like you're talking about, the way you make the soil more acid is to add sulfur. Now, you can get sulfur from drugstores. You can get it from a garden store. Usually you can order it online, little packs of it. But the way to make the soil acid is to put not a lot of sulfur. Don't go out and put a pound of sulfur on your little hydrangea. It will be D-E-A-D dead because sulfur sulfur reacts with the soil and with rainwater to form an acid which acidifies the soil. Well, you can understand that. But if you put a pound of sulfur, that's more acid than your little hydrangea wants. So for each hydrangea that you want to make deeper blue, put about a quarter of a cup and scatter it in a nice thin, thin little powdering on top of the leaves and the mulch and everything underneath the hydrangea. Water it in real good, but a quarter cup and no more than that on your hydrangea. Do that this year. It may take a year or two to get it good and acidified, but this year, maybe one more time next year in the spring. Oh, you just do it once a year? Once a year, in the spring. Oh, in the spring. Yeah. Oh, okay. It'll be blue, I promise you, in 2018, more than likely. It's going to be blue, 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 blue. I've got one real dark purple. Yeah. And it's beautiful, but then uh, I've got some that's light blue, but uh, she won't number. Uh, a dark blue. If you want them blue, put the sulfur on it. Thank you, sir. All right. Good talking to you, Charles. All right. Bye. 39 minutes past the hour gives uh, Jane in Norcross her turn. Jane, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jane. Hey. My question is about tomatoes. Yeah. My, I have four tomato plants, beautiful plants. My Roma is one. It has several small tomatoes. Yeah. The better boys, the other three, two of them have very scattering blooms, and they have put tomatoes uh, very sparsely down at the bottom. They're real yeah. small. For uh, one, wait, 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 Jane. Stop the stop the highway right here. So, how have you fertilized these plants? Uh, with well, I fertilized them where I planted them, but basically, I give them uh, water with some Miracle Grow oh. once a week. All right, stop that. All right. That is my answer for your problem. One of the things that happens when you put miracle Grow in water is a great fertilizer, no problem with that. But doing it once a week on tomatoes will make them grow taller, bigger, faster, greener, with less flowers than you want. And that's what's causing the problem, I think, is just over-fertilization. So stop the fertilization, keep them watered, keep them cared for just like you normally do. And I think within a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, there'll be more flowers than you ever thought possible. (laughs) All right. Well, I was curious because they're all right in a row there, and the Roma has lots of tomatoes on it. I'm not complaining. And they're all beautiful plants, but the three... Better boys are my real problem. Yeah, that is often the case. Some varieties do, they respond differently to fertilizer. The Romas are a very tough, old heirloom almost uh, tomato, so the Roma tomatoes might not be affected by fertilizer like the others would be. But again, stop fertilizing. I think your troubles are going to be over. But thanks for calling, Jane. We've got Joe in Lilburn, Georgia, and Joe joins us on Lawn and Guard. Hey, Joe, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fabulous. How can I help? I have a pretty big apple tree in my front yard that was boarded off and had mulch in there. And I want to take all that out, and I want to grow all my Bermuda grass that I have in my front yard yeah. under there. And there's quite a bit of shade. So uh-huh. I was wondering, can, can Bermuda grow in, in shade? Is there a type that does better? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm thinking about all the listeners to the show right now who are all, in, as, as one voice, are saying, no! <laughs> <laughs> I think about my listeners, and I know some of them play a game joke called, what would Walter say? And a lot of them are saying, Walter's going to say no to that Joe fella. You can't grow Bermuda in the shade. It ain't going to happen. So you got the answer, Joe. Why why do you want to grow Bermuda grass underneath the tree? Well, because that's what I have in my whole front yard is Bermuda. Well, now you're going to have something else there. It's not going to be Bermuda grass. Uh, That's all right. Anything that looks... That looks uh, good with Bermuda. Any any grass that would look okay. You know the weird thing that's going to make it sort of odd looking is that there are shade loving plants, and I'm thinking right now just a, a ground cover called Mondo grass. Mondo grass stays green all year long, and the Bermuda grass, as you know, turns brown in the winter. So you could make a nicely sculpted and manicured area underneath the shady area with Mondo grass. And okay. just recognize that it's going to be green in the wintertime, and the Bermuda will be brown. You can do that. Okay, that sounds like a plan. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Thanks for calling, Joe. Thank you. 42 minutes past the hour. We're just moving through them right now. Dan is in Smyrna, and Dan joins us on Lawn and Garden. Dan, good morning. Good morning, good morning Walter. I have a uh, Japanese maple, and last couple of days I've noticed I've got ants crawling all, all up the tree. Really? Both fire ants and carpenter ants. Whew. Wow. How can I get rid of them? Hmm. Trying to think, what would they find attractive on a Japanese maple? Well, now I don't know um, if if this is a clue, but this is a Japanese maple that I've had woodpeckers pecking away at, and I've had it cover the areas that the woodpeckers have been um, pecking away at. Because uh, it's gotten down to the you know the bark pretty bad, sure. and I've covered up those some of those areas with uh, you know wire. Yeah, um, and this is a tall Japanese maple, not one of the little dwarf mushroom correct places. Tall it's Japanese tall maple. I will tell you one of the things. I'll tell you two theories. All right, two theories. One, there might be somewhere nearby, and maybe even above or close to the same height as the Japanese maple, another plant completely that has sucking insects on it, and these sucking insects like scale, um, white flies, uh, aphids, will exude honeydew. And honeydew can move in the wind a little bit. It's a little stream of syrupy stuff that gets on the leaves of plants and mulch underneath them. And it's possible that there's honeydew on the leaves of your Japanese maple, and the ants are going up to find some honeydew that comes from somewhere around that area. So look around, look at the upper leaves of your Japanese maple and see if they look sort of sticky or shiny. And if so, that is what's attracting the ants to come up there. So that's one theory. Um, The other theory is sort of associated with that, simply that wind has blown them over. Carpenter ants live in trees. Carpenter ants exploit holes in trees and and make their nests in them. They don't hurt trees, per se. Carpenter ants don't eat anything that's not already rotten. But it's possible that the carpenter ants are up in there because they found a little hole that you haven't covered, and they're making a little nest, and so they're up and down the tree doing their housekeeping during the day. That said, for both those cases, Dan, the ants are probably not hurting the Japanese maple. I can't think of a way that an ant would hurt a Japanese maple other than make you mad. That's about all, all you know that I can say about it. So if you don't like them, if you care to spray an insecticide, fine, or put an ant bait at the base of the tree, fine. If you want to leave them alone, fine too. Well, that's yesterday morning. I sprayed some. Uh, I sprinkled some amdro at the bottom at the base of the tree. Okay. 
And that'll take um, care of fire ants pretty pretty well right there. Yeah, but I still, I'm, I'm out here looking at it now, and I still have quite a few uh, fire ants on top of the tree here. It'll take Amdro at least a week to okay. make any damage to it. So if you have fire ants, the Amdro will take care of it, but it'll take seven days. Okay. Thank you so much, Walter. Appreciate sure. it. Sure, Dan. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. 404-872-0750, the number you can dial if you need your question answered real quickly. Pat is uh, somewhere in the metro Atlanta area and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Pat. Good morning. Hi, Walter. This is Pat. Um, is it too late to cut back the azaleas? Nope. Nope. It, it, it is not. I mean, it's sort of a drag on a hot day like today. <laughs> so. I know. Well, somebody told me you can't cut them back after June 1st. No. Um, they start making their buds. The flower buds will start being made just as things are sort of heated up and then cooling off a little bit. So sometime in July, I would think, you see the first buds on the interior of the azalea start being made, and then as things cool off a little more in August and September, then the buds on the exterior of the plants will be made, and then as it goes into October, November, December, the buds mature and get ready to bloom the following spring. But um, between now, the early part of June, and the 1st of July, I think we could prune those azaleas pretty well, fertilize them, because you want to have some new growth. That new growth is where the buds are going to be born. Exactly, yeah. And so... um, So come back and and, um, go ahead and fertilize them now. And water. You've got to have water to be with the fertilizer, but I think if you do that, you should have a fine display next spring. Well, all of my azaleas were prettier this year than they ever have been because I guess we got a lot of rain during the winter, right? Yeah. No, they were pretty. They're gorgeous this year. Yeah. Is that why? Uh, probably. Okay. For lack of a better theory, that's my theory. Well, sure. I want to know another theory to keep them pretty every, every year. You know, but you bring up a point, Pat, that... This, my rule for pruning when and how and all that kind of stuff, mostly applies to the once-a-year azaleas, the ones that bloom in the spring, Japanese azaleas and uh-huh. all those. But some people, you know, have the encore azaleas, the ones yeah. that bloom a couple of three times during the growing season. And for encores, the best time to prune them is right after they bloom so they can set buds and set the flower things that will bloom again in uh-huh. late summer. And then you prune them right after that if you want to, and they'll have another bloom sometime in October, November. Uh-huh. So for encores, at least the first pruning, if you need to prune them, is the early one. The one in early May, mid-May. is about. Well, I appreciate it because that's something we'll have to do today. All right. Take that tea kettle off the uh, stove, and we'll see you soon, Pat. You are right for the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you. It's 747, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Ice tea, ice tea, ice tea. Not a single bit of it in France and Italy, but today it is the preferred drink of Georgia and Atlanta. Keep some handy because it's going to be a hot one this afternoon. Temperatures in the low 90s by the mid-afternoon. Lots of sun, no rain. Tonight's skies remain clear again. Overnight lows in the low 70s. Stay tuned. At last, most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes. And Louise in Virginia comes up this very minute. Hey, Louise, good morning. Hey there, Walter. Louis, how are you? Doing good, coming back uh, to Georgia there. I told you about my aquaponics thing when I was doing that. Oh, yeah. So I drained my aquarium water out on the uh, 
ground there in a place where it didn't have any grass, and um, it was a bare spot between two oak trees, and then I looked back a few months ago, and uh, now I've got grass. Man, that's great news. And so I just kept putting that uh, fish water out there from the aquarium <laughs> when I changed it out. No fertilizers. I needed anything. It was just that uh, the waste from the fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aquaponic has a lot to recommend it, and yours is sort of the simple situation where you're just emptying the emptying the aquarium and the fish uh, living space out there. But yeah, you got water, you got some light nutrition in there, and the grass says, "All right, I like this. I like this fine." So that becomes. I wanted to share that with you. I figured you'd get a kick out of that one. Um, I'm really proud that you share that with me because sometimes people have these cockamamie schemes for you know, draining the water out of the turtle pond or coming out of the fish pond and put that on the lawn and it doesn't seem to work. But you have got the got the success to prove that it does work sometimes. How are you doing? Hey, man, drive safely. 404-872-0750 is the number. Aquaponics, if you want to do it, you better start small. It is a great way to lose a lot of money. It's how you become a millionaire. You start with about $10 million and you get to be $1 million after about three years if these big aquaponic systems uh, uh, <laughs> don't turn out for you the way they're sometimes promised to. Coming up for the next half hour, Lisa and Stockbridge will be with us to talk about Asian beetles eating her muscadines. Billy is up in Canton and says the wildflower he has needs identification. Janice has a question about Stella Doro lilies. John and Cumming wants to know about how to make his tomatoes get bigger. Everybody wants to know how to make their tomatoes bigger, and I'll tell John what to do. And my friend Walter in Atlanta wants to kill the roots of a tree. He can't get them dead. He wants to kill them dead right now. All that coming up in the next half hour of Lawn and Garden. You can join us, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. What we do is what we do. What we do is what we do. What we do is what we do. 